Hello, Internet. This is David Rovix with another of my uh, very occasional podcasts, and um, happy to be speaking to you all now from Red Wing, Minnesota, where I am in actually the same uh, same actual house as uh, my friend Rick DeVoe here, and uh, I am doing this podcast for the purpose of primarily introducing folks who may be watching, uh, most notably on the Facebook page of Fair Trade Books, to this interview, because Rick DeVoe here in the 1st Congressional District of Minnesota is running for Congress. There's going to be a, a special election on May 24th, and then another election on August 9th, and it's a it's a complex uh, and strange phenomenon that we will uh, explain, or that he will explain, because I'm still trying to understand the whole process of uh, special elections and districts changing, borders changing. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's a wonderful congressional campaign that Rick is already running, and we're going to talk about that. And if you are watching on the Red Wing on, on the Fair Trade Books Facebook page or wherever else this is broadcasting, such as Popular Resistance's Facebook page. And um, you can comment, and I will be monitoring any comments or questions that come in for the candidate. And uh, Rick, great to see you. Great to have you here on the podcast. M my and, pleasure. Uh, yeah. My pleasure, I David. Yeah. You, first of all, before we get into your wonderful platform, what what the heck inspired you to run for Congress? You're, you've been you 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 threw your your hat into the ring um, three is or is that the glove? I'm hat or glove? I'm not sure, but you th you threw something into the ring like three weeks ago. It's only it's a very recent uh, recent decision and a recent special election, which which happened because. The congressman died. Basically, I'm, I'm not. This is not a spoiler. You're, you're going to talk about this, but so what happened, and, and wh why did you decide to run? Well, I last summer I I went uh, to Ohio to help uh, Nina Turner's bid for Congress, and uh, I was away from home for three months and had an opportunity to immerse myself in politics and and um, a campaign which uh, had been a while since I'd, I'd done that. Uh, it, I went out there with a twofold purpose. One was to help uh, elect Nina Turner. And secondly, was uh, to encourage her to run on the platform that I'm running on, which is um, a federal job guarantee that we're going to get into a little bit more. Um, be because for in Nina's case, uh, many what some listeners will know about her and some won't, but she was she was Bernie Sanders national co-chair. She's an African-American woman, very charismatic. Uh, and uh, I felt that she could be uh, perhaps pick up the mantle from Bernie Sanders for the progressive movement. And and, and if not that, it'd just be a force in Congress because of her her character and determination. Uh, so. Um, I, I was not, uh, I really didn't get through to Nina in, uh, as, as I would have liked to, but when, when I was there, um, I took three weeks uh, out of the three months in a very focused effort to write down my thoughts and my strategy. I, very, I think very much like a campaign manager, I've always been a student of politics and campaigns, I've been involved 
and campaigned since I was 15 years old, stuffing envelopes for George, George McGovern. And, and I, I really do believe I have some insights into policy and strategy, uh, but I'd never really thought it all through and laid it down. So I did that while I was there. I, I, and when I was finished, it's 15 pages long, uh, and I, I called it the blueprint, um, emphasis on the blue, uh, because uh, it was meant to be, it was laying out a strategy for the Democrats to sort of remake the party uh, and uh, the, the federal job guarantee uh, would be the issue that they could ride to a supermajority in Congress. And it, so I'm, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I'm going to directly answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing great. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, you know, I got the blueprint in Nina's hands about three weeks before the election, uh, in her election, and as well as her campaign staff. It was a little late in the game for them to shift any of their strategy or anything they were doing. And I really didn't expect that to happen. Uh, but if she had, if she, even in the last three weeks, I think, if she had brought up the subject of a federal job guarantee, um, it, 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 it might have could have made a difference for her. And ultimately, I felt that if she were to win, um, and that was a special election like like ours. So it was a standalone election that got a tremendous amount of national attention. Uh, because it because it was Nina Turner, and I really wanted her to have this as her signature issue. I wanted it to be the narrative coming out of her campaign that she didn't win just because she was Nina Turner, but she won because um, it, you know she took this issue on and um, uh, would, would bring it would bring you know bring it to the fore in the process. So um, I, I came back from the campaign last summer and um, considered considered whether or not this is something I would try to do myself. And I, I was um, uh, ambivalent, to say the least, about whether or not uh, I would make a run myself for Congress. I met some folks in Ohio when I was there, uh, a man named Keith Mundy, uh, particularly, who's currently running uh, the campaign manager for Jeff Seitz, who's running against Jim Jordan in Ohio. And he has a great campaign slogan, vote Monday on Tuesday, I have to say. That's a, that's a, that was very, very witty. That's actually, yeah, continue. Th that, that was actually when, well, the same Monday, but different election. Oh, that's okay. That, okay. I don't want to when, mislead anybody. You scratch that. <laughs> Forget that comment. Well, that's when Keith himself ran, um, I th I'm not sure when, I think about, maybe eight years ago, he ran for Congress himself. And that that was his slogan. But he's been involved in politics all his life. He he was he worked hard to get Keith Ellison um, elected to the Democratic uh, chair was un, unsuccessful with that. But he he was uh, very instrumental in getting uh, Bernie really off the ground in Ohio in 2016. Uh, very knowledgeable man. He really was impressed with the blueprint. When I, uh, and to tell you a little bit about the blueprint, um, I laid it out in three different uh, sections. Uh, the first was was platform. And in my mind, it's a one plank platform, this federal job guarantee that I call Full Employment Plus. And secondly is the pay for, which 
uh, is always uh, an answer. It's always a challenge that the deficit hawks and the Republicans and even the Democratic establishment uh, is going to uh, challenge one on. If you're going to if you're going to mm-hmm. uh, advocate How for are you a bold, pay for that, yeah, yeah, bold vision, you got to you know pay for it. So I answer the pay for question secondly, and then lastly, I call it um, the playbook. Each one of these sections is critically important in in my view. In the it's playbook, only fifteen pages, so it better be, huh? Yeah, <laughs> section, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in the playbook, and what's is the really, playbook? Mm-hmm. It's really about how to how to conduct a camp, how to conduct a campaign, or not a campaign, but this particular campaign. And this particular campaign, uh, I think, it's extremely important that the as near a full emphasis as you can put on the federal job guarantee is what is what the difference maker is. It, it, it's gotten, um, I'm going to get, I know we're because going to you're talk saying a little. That's, that's the place to put the emphasis. I mean, you, you know, in the beginning of the blueprint that, that the, the elements of the federal job guarantee are also present within the green new deal, uh, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others have been promoting. And, and, and you note also that, that the, the federal job guarantee has been in existence for about almost a century and has and and generally polls at 70 percent among uh progressives and conservatives alike which of course makes it not only well i mean it's, it's obviously a great idea i think most anybody watching this probably agrees but also it's, it's fascinating to know how popular it has polled for such a long time and and it makes a lot of sense as a as a main uh plank for a platform but Talk talk more about the, this decision and 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 the, the strategy there with with this platform. Yeah, and we can come back a little bit more to the blueprint later. So just to um, uh, to answer the question, uh, I I really believe in the in the strategy. Um, and, and the one thing I'll I will say about the playbook uh, that um, it, it depends on a, on a real belief in. Uh, the people or in people in general um and the and the power that resides in our our hands if we if we can um if we can get on the same page for a lack of a better way to put it and i think that this that this uh platform can can do it but but you know in the um you know i mentioned keith monday um uh, and, and unfortunately, I, you know, I, I, I love Keith and, and uh, but he, ha- he has, you know, made a comment that so many other campaign managers make um, disparaging people in the sense uh, of the confidence that he has that uh, uh, people can get it. They can they can um, uh, understand and act responsibly in uh in, in her not just to be manipulated in other words and um you know i i believe the opposite i believe that the more participation we have and you know i just i, I just believe in the common sense and the common decency uh, of the average person and i believe if they get good information <laughs> that they're very reliable uh, 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 in the aggregate you know to make a majoritarian decision about something if they're if they're well informed uh and jefferson said that you know if you find the people too unenlightened to make these kind of decisions that you don't take the power away from them you enlighten them and and unfortunately as we all know 
with, you know, political discourse has been grossly debased with all of the lies and and uh, almost of an Orwellian nature where words and everything is getting turned inside out. And, and people really don't know um, who to trust, what a, what a reliable source is. And, and that's very understandable given, given the circumstances. So, um, so, so when Bernie he, Sanders ran for president, he got, he was doing really well for quite a while there, won 22 states. And, and then, you know, as we know, the various elements, including the leadership of the Democratic Party, uh, ganged up against him. And uh, I, I wonder what makes you think that you have a chance of winning when these kinds of uh, forces may be arrayed against you. As they were winning, w winning uh, the primary, winning. The pri oh, uh, oh yeah, any of these races. I mean, it just seems to me like there are uh, there are forces in the world with a lot of uh, money and influence who don't want people yes. to you elected. Yes, it, it, you know, but I, I really believe that uh, both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party um, are. Um, uh, well, let me speak first of, of, you know, they're not the same. So I'll, I'll speak first of the Republican Party. They're, they're close to um, being illegitimate, I think, in a lot of people's minds um, due to their conduct. Uh, you know, just the most recent example is, um, I think it was three weeks ago or so, there was a unanimous, you know, vote from the Republican Party and a decree that what we all saw on, on television on January 6th was a legitimate political discourse. Um, to say that that's outrageous is, you know, I don't know what word you want to um, apply to that. And also, you know, the, you know, I think a, an obvious example is is the fact that they, the Republican Party and the Trump campaign brought, I think, sixty five different lawsuits about claiming election fraud in in eight different battleground states and not a one of them was consider, considered to have any merit. So uh, so that's the judiciary ruling uh, and the Trump administration, the Republican Party um, is basically on record as as ignoring it, just ignoring the decision of the ju judiciary. So, I mean, we all learn in grade school uh, uh, you know, the, the miracle <laughs> or the uh, fundamental soundness of checks and balances in the, uh, between the judiciary and the executive and the legislative. And they're basically just defiant of that uh, in, in the Constitution. But more importantly, to answer, in answering your question, David, um, you, know, you know, what the, what the Democratic and and Republican parties have in common uh, is neoliberalism. And um, um, the Republicans are more vulnerable in my mind because they don't even attempt to offer any uh, in rhetoric, well, they do have the rhetoric, uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the front of, of relieving people's uh, income and, and health insecurity with an economic program of any kind. They're, they're one trick pony, um, cut taxes, cut regulations, um, it, it, I think is growing increasingly stale with, 
with uh, the American public, um, it, which, which in, in my view, for these reasons that I'm mentioning about their conduct recently, and the fact that they're virtually a wholly owned subsidiary of Trump Inc. at this point, um, they're, they're, they're a house of cards. I really think a strong wind is going to blow them right over. What and about the, the DNC, Rick? Well, they sabotaged Bernie's campaign. It, it absolutely did. And um, they're more formidable. There's an article on my website about the tortured history of the federal job guarantee dating back to FDR. And the article points out quite clearly that it was the Democratic um, moderate to centrist establishment that has kept it from happening. Not the Republican Party, but the, De the Democratic Party. Talk about uh, the history of this, of, of, of the whole full employment thing. It's a fascinating, it's, it's been advocated by by well-known figures, including Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Martin Luther King, Bayard Rustin, um, uh, Hubert Humphrey, to take a local Minnesota example. The, the very prominent figures throughout the past century or so have been advocating this uh, program, which which was part of FDR's Economic Bill of Rights, which was never fully implemented. and. And yet, be, despite the popularity of the program, I mean, I suppose this is true with a lot of other potentially popular programs that never get implemented. But this one clearly has been popular, a popular idea for a very long time among a wide cross section of the population. And, and yet it, it never it never gets implemented. But talk, talk about the history of, of this uh, idea. Well, I think, as you pointed out, uh, FDR made the original proposal uh, in 1944 uh, when the, the, the victory was was near. Uh, and uh, as we all know, I think that uh, World War II was the only instance in American history where we had full employment because we were going all out to to win the war and government spending, federal government spending, went from 30% of the economy to 50% of the economy. There's a lot to, to, to be uh, analyzed about that time. In uh, FDR, uh, I mean, he made the proposal when he did, I believe, because he knew that the soldiers would be returning and that factories were not going to be going at full bore and that there's going to be a big adjustment in, in, in the economy. Um, and by the way, the, uh, well, uh, I won't go back that far. I was going to go back even to the New Deal, but we don't need to do that. Um, it, it, FDR was immensely popular. Uh, he was elected four times. Uh, the, the New Deal was very popular for, for good reason. He had, he had managed the war to, to victory. And ha had he survived into the post-war period, I believe we would have had a federal job, you know, enjoying the benefits of a federal job guarantee for the last 75 years. Had Martin Luther King lived, Martin Luther King made it um, a cornerstone of his freedom budget. And I, I met Coretta Scott King in Pittsburgh, um, I think it was in 1984, uh, and she, she made it her mantra after Martin's death, a federal job guarantee. She worked with later with Hubert Humphrey uh, very closely with Hubert Humphrey uh, when uh, they advanced it as as part of what then became the 
the Humphrey Hawkins bill of 1978, but it got stripped out. You know, it, it just didn't make it. It didn't make it through the legislature. And the March on Washington in 1963, as I think most people who who are, you know, sort of recollecting it in the in the via the public uh, or, you know, via mass media every now and then, they they never seem to mention that it's, it wasn't called the March on Washington. It was called the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. It's a very direct. I mean, that, that was half the program there. Right. And, and as, you know, we all know the that we have uh, are still in the throes of um, to, to say the least of of racial tensions in this in this country and Martin Luther King said quite plainly many times that the race issue is not going to resolve itself until everyone white black brown uh, could have a, a a job with dignity that, would would um, um, elevate them above uh, uh, want, and uh, and he would have fought with us. You, you have, you know, in this instance, you're talking about the history. You have, you have two very untimely deaths uh, that definitely could have made a, a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, Martin Luther King um, was leading the Poor People's Campaign at the time that he was killed, right? I mean, the plan was uh, to march on Washington until poverty was, gonna, was eliminated. It was going to be the equivalent of uh, the Coxie, uh, um, the, the the bonus the, army, right? the, uh, something like that. The, yeah, the, the well, those are two separate, two separate. Was oh, that two different? What's yeah, the yeah. Coxie was, was was it? early, before oh. that. Coxie and then the. Yeah, the the bonus was the well, those were the veterans. Um, so, um, Rick, you, you, go ahead. You, yeah, no. If, if you, unless you have a pressing thought, I was I was going to ask about your you have a a, a background with uh, you, you have a, a far more thorough understanding of a whole lot of economics than I do, and than most people do. And you you are you're not coming into this whole idea of a full employment program uh, just out of the blue because it seems like a good idea you 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 have a you have quite an understanding of of the workings of economics and how that can actually um, how, how such a program can actually be funded and I wonder if you could talk about that right well you know I mentioned earlier that <clears throat> that uh, during World War two and in prior to that in the New Deal uh, the government spending, the the opponents uh, of of the New Deal, um, for instance, were were um, very concerned that it would be economically disruptive and inflationary, and uh, the things that they normally say. Uh, and it it didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, and when they when um, uh, I mentioned that that. Uh, spend government spending became 50% of the economy during during World War II. And there's a couple of reasons um, why all of that spending was not disruptive uh, to the economy. There's two key reasons, one of which I leverage in the Full Employment Plus program. But everybody remembers the war bonds. Uh, and that was a this is where it gets a, um, I think war bonds is a good way to introduce uh, energy savings bonds, which are a component of my plan. Um, 
but what the war bonds actually did and um, was uh, keep some money out of circulation because um, because of all the spending, you don't want to overstimulate, as they say, the economy with, with too much money in circulation because then you're going to drive prices up and uh, th that can can be inflationary. So the war bonds actually, as people bought them, it it took that money out of their pockets and it was a saving instrument so that later on they they could cash those bonds and gain the the interest on them. But it was de basically deferred spending, and the, uh, the same thing happened uh, in th with the general workforce. They needed to keep prices down, uh, so they needed to keep wages down. And what they did is they created the pension system. That that's when the whole pension system really was created, which was also deferred income. And at the time. Um, and then that's why, you know, uh, FDR knew it federal, you could do a federal job guarantee. Government spending did not have to go back down from 50% to 30%. And by the way, that's where we're at right now is 30% mm. uh, of the uh, economy is government spending. So if you just take the example of World War II um, as not being, no, well, to, to finish on, on post-war period, even though, uh, uh, m most people, pe uh, people um, in the the business establishment, particularly, uh, thought that we were, you know, the economy was going to tank afterwards um, because of um, uh, the, the handling of the uh, of the war and the continued government spending and what have you. And the, the, as we all know, the opposite occurred. We we entered the biggest boom. People were were um, um, cashing the war bonds, for instance, and uh, there was a, there was a, you know, we had a, a great advances in uh, economically. So, um, uh, so we're still on the pay for question. I got a little bit of uh, off on a tangent there, I think. But the question, David, again, is is um, how we can how you're going to pay for it and, and the under, mm -hmm. understanding of it. Of economics, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, as I said, I just mentioned that that um, um, we, there's a lot of fiscal space there, as the as economists say, when you've got um, that historical example of spending up to fifty percent when we're when we're at at thirty percent. In my plan, full employment plus. Um, in fact, I think David, maybe I need to get to do a little bit of an outline of it more so yeah. than I, I have that at this like time. That sounds like a great, great idea. Yeah. So uh, what the program will do is um, enable anyone that needs work, whether it be part-time or full-time, um, to have work in their local community, working for their local community, would be backstopped by by two federal programs that I'll, that I'll mention. Um, the pay would be at a living wage, and full-time workers would get paid health care, paid child care, and, and paid leave. Um, the uh, Everyone, one aspect of my plan that's different, I, that's one of the reasons I call Full, full Employment Plus, is that it'll be a national call to service for everyone, every citizen, to participate as they are able um, 
and th those that don't need um, the pay can uh, uh, take energy savings bonds in lieu of pay. And the way the energy savings bonds will work is they'll become the safe equivalent of treasury bonds because they're, they have the full backing of the federal government. But like war bonds, they're purposed. Uh, treasury bonds are not. Uh, these, are, these are purposed. In the same, from an economic theory standpoint, um, they, they serve the same function as as the war bonds, which is to is to defer spending and to take, you know, instead of paying folks for the work that they might do um, locally, uh, they, they, they get the savings bonds. So instead of them having the money in their pocket to spend, it, it's later. And the uh, the purposeful um, component of the energy savings bonds is energy uh, conservation. The, the bonds themselves will, the dividend that's, annual dividends paid on the bond will, will correlate directly to the reduction in energy of that bondholder's utility company. So uh, that's how the dividends would be paid on the bond. So there are people uh, individually and collectively would be incentivized to, to reduce energy. Um, in that in that sense so those are uh, you know the in the again in the pay for when you're when you're paying everyone a living wage uh, and they have health and income security you are um, you, you are keeping money in the economy where it's needed most uh, and it'll be a base a, a, a better foundation for local and, and the national economy. But so, so many federal and state programs to support the unemployed and the underemployed will uh, either be um, significantly reduced or even, even eliminated. So there's a tremendous amount of savings on that side. Uh, and the, 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 many of the proponents of, uh, the job guarantee point out that it is a um, countercyclical, automatic countercyclical me mechanism. So when there's downturns, um, it immediately stabilizes it. I mean, when we've had the recession in 2009 and we've had the most recent uh, recession due to the pandemic, the, um, the money went first and most to Wall Street. And there is no, the Congress didn't need to deliberate uh, about what, how much to spend or where they were going to spend it. The, the Fed just immediately um, splashed Wall Street with, the, we don't even know how, mu how much money, or we don't even know how much they can continue to, to fund. Um, and as, as most of us know, um, the gains in the in the two recoveries from uh, the recessions have gone um, to the top, as opposed to the top one percent, the top ten percent, where the average person is not has not seen any any gain from that. So, what would happen instead of standing in line behind Wall Street 
and waiting for Congress to decide if and when they might provide some relief, uh, this is going where it's needed most. Uh, people immediately, when they get laid off, uh, go down to their job center and have a job on the shelf waiting for them in this program. Uh, so the money, the and, and it's backed by the it's the federal government that's that's paying the tab for this program. So the, that's where it would come. That check would come from the federal government, uh, and um, it, it would be the best. Uh, stabilizer for those kind of dark downturns than, than, that I can think of. You know, when you mentioned the, the, the idea of, um, of having a program that is like a, this sort of a stable, stable employment for a whole lot of people. One of the things that comes to mind as a, as an American is, is, uh, the, the military industrial complex, which is also a, a sort of a you know a, a large employer, if not a very efficient one, in terms of the amount of jobs, uh, the good jobs that could be provided with seven hundred billion dollars a year. Um, but I, I wonder if if you got any particular thoughts on on the the seven hundred billion and, and what what uh, what might be done. Uh, and somebody on YouTube is is asking if if you would label yourself politically. How would you label your, yourself politically if you would? Uh, pick any any particular descriptors and I, I think I got one in mind Re real deal Democrat is is a is the term you've been using but but right. I don't want to put words in your mouth right well I think to to the extent that that um, I can avoid um, labeling myself uh, I th I think the better but when I give my my stump speech I mean uh, I, I say what I have uh, just you know, I have a history. So, and, and it, 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 it really doesn't matter in some ways what you self-ascribe. It's, it's going to be what, what, how, how people are going to label you. You really don't have a heck of a lot of control over that. But w w even in my stunt speech, I said, you know, I've had a lifetime of supporting progressive uh, candidates and, and issues. Um, and I think that progressive is, is the ready, um, you know, I can't deny being a progressive and, and I don't know what else I really would uh, call it. But I often think of that. I, I often think of that we need a new language uh, and we need new framing. Uh, in, in, this, in this campaign, the way that I answer the question, uh, I want to answer the question, is with this program. Uh, is this is this is what I'm standing on. This is what I want you to judge me on. Is this program? And you call it what you will. I mean, uh, people called Social Security in FDR's time socialist, it, and it is. <laughs> you know, and uh, you could certainly call this program socialist. Uh, you know what I what I what I point out. Uh, you know, at times is, is, uh, look, let's look at this in, in practical terms, because that's what Americans do. Um, and uh, is it, uh, what, you know, what difference will it make in my life? And uh, is it fair? Um, you know, it's a lot of people justifiably in this country, from their personal experience, um, feel that the system isn't fair. Some people have greater advantage. Uh, some people uh, get more from the government when the government does provide some sort of a service than, than, than they've been able to 
receive. So, um, it, but the, in the most practical terms, we have a, um, and this is in, a, in economist terms, we have a, a private sector and we have a public sector. And I think right on the face of it, any, any reasonable person will see that there are, there's uh, work and projects and what have you that are, are, are never going to be um, met solely by private enterprises that have a bottom line of profit. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it just doesn't. The, uh, and it will never be the case that uh, even though that's the neoliberal philosophy and certainly the, the, the tenets of the, um, the Republican Party most, most expositely. So, um, you know, my, to me, it's a balancing of the pub public and private sector. Uh, there, there's a, a we've we've let um, many things. There's so much work to be done uh, to to uh, restore habitat and to to uh, support uh, community um, and and each other that uh, can only be met. These needs can only be met by uh, especially the federal government because the federal government can. Um, contrary to conventional uh, uh, talk, um, can never get a bill it can't pay. It has the full power of the purse. Uh, so there will never be a social security check that doesn't get paid. You know, the whole notion of a social security trust fund that we have to worry about is baloney. Uh, so... Um, you know, states, the states, uh, we as individuals, local governments, state governments, we all have to balance our budgets. We do not have a printing press in the back, in the uh, basement. If we did, we would never, we'd never have to borrow money from anybody. The federal government doesn't actually borrow from anybody. They, they create treasury bonds that are a form of savings, uh, and they do it with a keystroke. Um you know, we, we don't have that capacity in our state governments and federal governments. We, we, we use the currency that the federal government decides to spend into circulation. Um, but there's no limitation on, on what the federal government can do. And as long as there's work to be done, there's there's the human resources available, the material resources are available and the equipment is available, then the money it, it can and should be there. Uh, money is not the issue. And, and politically, if we have the votes, we'll have the money. It's that simple. Rick, I wonder, you've mentioned Wall Street a couple of times, and, and, um, and you've got a fascinating history as an activist, not only with uh, electoral campaigns of uh, your own and others, but uh, with uh, being instrumental in legalization of marijuana in California, and um, you've worked for many, many years in the trades and big, uh, big smoky places with big machines and stuff uh, as a union. Uh, I, I don't what is when you work in, in the, the building right? trades with What's the heat and frost in scooters. Yeah. 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 Right? We passed a massive uh, oil refinery, spent uh, quite a long bunch of time working in and and now you've been running a, a, 
a local bookstore in Red Wing for the past eight years, and uh, notably for many uh, listeners of this particular broadcast, you also spent quite a bit of time uh, in Zuccotti Park during the Occupy Wall Street uh, era. And I wonder if any of these particular uh, any of these particular activities inform your desire or or willingness <laughs> to run for Congress right now. Well, you know, I think I think it's uh, a lifetime of of all of the things, the, the, the learning experience of all of these things, and 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 uh, always um, throughout my life being reading and studying campaigns and and politics in our our history, in uh, and, and I feel um, impelled to 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 do this because of the knowledge and experience that I have um, and, and the belief I have in the strategy that, uh, that I'm, that I'm acting upon. Um, and, and it, 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 you know, I'm informed by, and I can't even tell you, you know, I can't cite, well, this has had that, that much influence on me and this had that much. I, I have no idea, but I do, I, I do have a lot of confidence uh, in my, um, my views as to where we stand right now in this moment in history, um, the kind of action that, that we need to take. And, and uh, you know, it just reminds me, David, because I didn't really talk about the Democratic Party establishment. You know, I was talking about how the, the Republican Party and neoliberalism is, is just losing its uh, steam. Uh, and the the... The American people, the, the voting public, uh, doesn't have any faith in either party. The, the Democratic Party hasn't delivered anything um, significant for uh, the average person in a long time, and they and they know that. They don't they don't have any faith or much at all in in uh, the Democratic Party. Um, for for good reason, incrementalism. There's no, there is absolutely no space in this moment in history for incrementalism, uh, which is which is why I'm going with such a a big idea here uh, that can be the change that 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 really can make a difference in people's lives. Um, you know, as far as Zuccotti Park, you know, just prior to that. I was the director of the campaign for a common good economy in Massachusetts, which we were, it was an effort to charter a democratically controlled bank that would also have a form of alternative currency uh, amongst the account holders, which was very dynamic. In fact, when I went to, uh, I, I made it to, I, I knew, I saw the ad, the ad in Adbusters uh, with the ballerina on the bowl and, and I said, oh, well, that's cool. Um, advertising I, the upcoming protest on September yeah. 17th, 2011. Yeah. Right. Right. And I said, well, that's cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't run down there to, to be a part of it. I don't think anybody knew what, you know, what it could anticipate, you know, what it would become. But once it did start and I saw, um, the potential in it, I dropped everything. I got there on day nine. Uh, I, I always remember that. It was day nine of the occupation. And uh, at that moment when I arrived, 
there was only two dozen people that, that were still trying to hold on there and, and literally occupy that space. And, uh, uh, and I was there right through the, uh, the, the raid is what I call it. When, when, uh, the camp was, uh, the space was, uh, what over, over, it was a military operation, which of course we is, we can talk about it, uh, you know, you call talk it a about raise, that. R A Z E instead no, of raid. No, I just, or, or I just call it the raid. No, raid. They took I, everything. I just, I oh, raid, raid. Yeah, they, but they I, took I, I everything. Don't... They took every little thing in the park. Everything. Every yeah, it, a gross violation of civil liberties that uh, a judge, Judge Kennedy, in the middle of the night, uh, ruled to reopen the park and that it was an uh, illegal activity on the part of the NYPD. Um, but more to the point. I went there because I thought I had something to offer, just like I'm running for Congress because I think I have something to offer. I, I am, you know, at the time, what the heck was it, 11? You know, I'm 60, you know, I was in my early 50s. I was one of the the oldest people in the park. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't go there just to be, you know, to just to join in. Uh, uh, although that's that, that was fine. You know, it's just, a, it's not something that, I, I went there with a purpose and my purpose was to uh, was strategic was to get the uh, the movement um, to um, uh, have its own currency to you know I, I think it was an ideal ideal situation because it was in opposition to the the existing existing monetary system and the the way the banks dominated. Uh, and I got a, there's a, I got a lot of traction there and it, the, the, and there was a tremendous amount of pu public support right in the, right in New York for Occupy. In fact, there was $700,000 got donated to Occupy and I was asked to be on the banking working group, um, that would manage, you know, that money. And I, I didn't want to have any part of that, <laughs> but, but I, what I advocated for was that that use that money uh, to backstop our own currency? And when you say backstop, what that means is if you're issuing, and we and there were several people that that printed Occupy currency, you know, um, printed it up. And and my my take on it, or the reason I was advocating it, is if we did produce our own currency, it would have been a way for people all over the country and all over the world to support Occupy. The way it would have worked, uh, what I was suggesting, because you can you know, do it all on the internet, is people open up an Occupy account. And uh, we, you know, I was suggesting $200 that we put, you know, just give everybody $200 in Occupy money when they open up their account. And then it's a uh, you create a marketplace. Whoever wants to offer their goods and services, which due to the popularity uh, of Occupy, there would have been many. I mean, we uh, you know who would have done that. I mean, so if you picture being um, wherever you were in say Indiana, and you were a supporter of of Occupy, and the word went out that Occupy has got its own currency. And the way you support this movement is to go online and sign up. And when you do, you get your, you get $200. 
well, what the heck does that mean? You know, get it means something when the money actually buys you something. So let's say on because the how does that work? Because it would backstop because it, it and it would be it would mean something and buy you something because it would be backstopped with actual, no no uh, you don't or... no ideally you never even need, need that seven any of that seven hundred thousand. Oh, okay. The only time I you see. need the only time in 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 my um you know it it, it wasn't even necessary to 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 have a backstop but uh, what what the what that means is if anybody wanted to convert occupy currency to cash that we would have had the cash to do it that's what i mean by right. backstopping right. so but uh let's say you go on the website and and okay somebody gave you 200 bucks uh, all right well what's out there on the marketplace well they've got a kid's bike that's $160. I can get this bike for my 10 year old. So you click, it's a matter of clicks, you know, okay, put the, put the bike in the shopping cart. And when that bike shows up in a week in a box, then, you know, that's money. I mean, it's money the way you experience money. I just bought that. So, you know, then the, the thing that the next question, you know, likely question that one asks themselves, well, I only have $40 now. How do I get more? Uh, if I'm part of this economy, how do I get more? Well, you can offer a good or service yourself, but I want to, you know, even go beyond that. I wanted learning modules uh, where we, we would actually pay people to learn because once you're the, once you're the issuer of a currency, you decide how it's going to be spent and what it's going to be spent on. Uh, and you can do something like pay people to learn. Uh, so it's, it, and I knew this, you know, I was talking about just prior, I was working on the campaign for a common good economy. And we had that component uh, whereby any account holder, we would, we would issue money, uh, extra money. In other words, you'd have your right, normal money in the bank but we would circulate a, a currency amongst ourselves that would uh, give everybody more money and it would be purposeful grant, grants and loans and things. So I, in, in, you know, I, I've been a student of the monetary system uh, for a long time, a long time prior to Occupy, which that's why I went there with this idea because I understood money and I'd, I'd worked with Steven Zarlinga of the American Monetary Institute, uh, Edgar Kahn uh, from Time Dollars, which is one of the original, and right in Occupy, David Graeber. David mm -hmm. Graeber was one of the uh, was one of the um, uh, conceptualized with a small group of people the 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 Occupy uh, consensus driven. Um, I don't know, say consensus driven, driven. but at any rate, David Graeber, I met, uh, Charles Eisenstein uh, in New York, who wrote uh, Sacred Economics. Um, uh, but I've studied the, 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 our monetary system, how it works, uh, and how money, the, the science of money, what money means, how, how, does it, uh, how does it operate, and how can it operate, how should it operate? Um, and, uh, you know, so it's that sort of understanding that I brought. And unfortunately, in 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 uh, at Occupy Liberty Square, as as we called it, those who were uh, on site, um, 
a, a quite a few money or quite a few people well represented didn't want anything to do with money uh yeah. and and were um they just didn't and and because of the consensus process what have you there it, it was just i could not move i could not move it forward um uh, the way i would have hoped so it makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah Rick, when in uh, future podcasts, um, you'll be interviewing other people, um, especially folks from the first congressional district of Minnesota, where you are running for Congress. And um, as I have discovered, have, uh, having spent the past several days out here in Minnesota, uh, barnstorming around with you, uh, it is a very large district and it stretches all the way down to the Iowa border. And down there in southern Minnesota, there's a lot of dairy farmers, dairy farms, um, although only 5% of the ones that are left from the heyday of dairy farming. That's it. When, when uh, I guess I was a little kid. But um, I know that we, we visit, visited a farmer, a couple of farmers recently, and, and uh, probably farmers will be among the folks you'll be talking to in the in the coming weeks and um i wonder what 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 do you what do you plan to do for the farmers of minnesota if elected well um again i I always want to pivot to the full employment program um which you know rural areas you know you go to many towns um in minnesota and around the country uh where small towns have been um, in many cases, just hollowed out. There's there's um, um, uh, family farms. I mean, you mentioned how many there was six hundred. You know, Vance, the farmer that we talked to, mentioned that there was six hundred and fifty thousand dairy farms at one point. And now there's only thirty five thousand. Um, but the the full employment plan uh, will keep people. I mean, there's always a, there's an exodus from the farm. And an exodus from, uh, you know, you grew up in a, in a in a small town. What are your opportunities uh, if you wanted to stay around? Um, and if the, the full employment program would, would give you, a, there's always work. There's always work everywhere. Uh, uh, the physical infrastructure of many small towns, uh, you know, has been neglected as well as, you know, obviously urban areas. But um, if people could get a job uh, and like, the, the farmer we talked to when we asked him what kind of jobs um, would would uh, you conceive of to utilize people in this program and he immediately first thing he said was well windbreaks farmers around here we need windbreaks you have to you need to regenerate those you know just they're trees that grow and die uh, we talked about creeks and riparian repair um, he talked about neighbors that he knew were pretty destitute in most cases elderly that he would drive by their homes and look to see if there was smoke coming out of the chimney because he was you know worried about their you know uh, their day-to-day -day existence but he's a farmer with his hands full uh, uh, and um, uh, so these you know elder care these kind of things these service oriented jobs um, would be available in the full employment plus program and, and but dire a direct answer beyond the beyond the full employment plus opportunities um, something that he 
himself was advocating as a dairy farmer so that we can keep the 35,000 dairy farmers we still have um, was a, a, a program he called fair wage pricing. And what that would do is uh, uh, for the first, I don't remember what volume of milk he, he mentioned, but for the, the right up to what he felt would be sustenance level for a, a, a small dairy farmer, that they would be guaranteed a, a price that would make it you know manageable for them so that they could sustain themselves and then beyond that let the market determine the price um, for whatever producer wanted to increase the volume of production and that just makes so much sense to me and i think that um if i were to be uh, i think i'll, I'll you know I'll talk about that as I am right now when the subject of ag comes up during the campaign. But once elected the, the representative, um, it's something I would likely advance. And there may be other, you know, as I, as I, it's the one, as I said, into to, um, uh, one, one county convention conversation and Q and a is kind of the one hole in my knowledge of policy. Uh, I, in uh, uh, is agricultural. It's very important to this district because it's a largely rural district. So I think that's why you asked the question, David. Yeah. <clears throat> and I love that um, the whole plan with the uh, you know the up to a half a million gallons of milk. The small farmer gets paid a guaranteed uh, price, and then it's uh, on up to the market after that. I mean, it, it seemed like such a great simple plan but um it, rick talk, it, can you talk about it, how people can get involved with your campaign or w w whatever you're going to say well there, there's three important ways for people to support the campaign and you, you do it right through the website i encourage everybody to go to vote to vote dot com uh, and uh, it's a pretty comprehensive website i think you get a real firm understanding of what we're doing if you if you review it um, and there's a donation page and a volunteer page. So uh, we, we certainly can use uh, money. So if you can, if you want to support with a donation, that's terrific. Uh, we, we definitely need volunteers on the campaign. We, it was a very limited amount of time in a very big district. So we're going to need to be making phone calls to introduce people to the campaign. Um, but uh, the third thing would be to follow the campaign on social media. Um, we are kind of starting from scratch. We've got a terrific team, um, including David, who's doing a lot of work. Oh, that guy. Uh, mo most critically, David, and the work that, that he's doing. David wrote us a campaign song, and you got to go to the website if, if for no other reason than to hear that. <laughs> it's and, a, and, it's the, a good... and it's pinned to the Facebook page. Vote DeVoe MN is uh, the Facebook page. It's pinned there, and share it on Facebook, please. Yes. So that's the other thing that you can do is help build a following, which, as most of you know, uh, you know, elevates us in the search so that more and more people become familiar with the campaign. So those are the three very important things that you can do if you wish to support the campaign. Any closing words in particular? Well, you know, um, I, I'm thinking of the, of the blueprint right now. So the, the political uh, um, 
progression here of this. This special this is a special election that we're having, and it will be in advance of the November elections. So it's a it's a bellwether election, and it's uh, after the redistricting that's just occurred. There are only 35 competitive congressional districts in the country, out of 535, uh, and this is one of them. So people are going to be attention, paying attention, you know, who won. And there's always the narrative coming out of a campaign as to why somebody won or why somebody lost. And it's a very brief narrative. And what if we can, if I can succeed, if I can win this special election, I'm just a bookseller from a small town uh, without, you know, running a grassroots campaign. Uh, the story will be he won because he was a. Um, that's all he wanted to talk about was this full employment plus program. That's all he wanted to talk about. So it must have been why he won uh, if he if he wins. And I think, you know, it has, uh, you know, it's my belief that this is a way to get not only get Democrats on the uh, on the same page, but to redefine what it means to be a Democrat, uh, to to make it once again the party of the people. I think it, it can be. It's, you know, I was at Occupy Wall Street. I've kind of given up on the system in the past uh, and tried to find a workaround. But in practical terms, in my long my long history of working um, on social environmental and social justice issues in one way or another, uh, I know that this is our our best vehicle. It's not easy by any means, and we're 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 up against a very well organized. Um, structural opposition, not, you know, you know, so, um, but I, I, I'm a believer. I believe, uh, I know it's possible. I know it's possible to win this election. I think we're, we're, we have a very good chance of winning this election. Um, and uh, it, it could be dramatic. It could really uh, send some shockwaves out um, and uh, get some people paying attention. But the critical thing moving forward, and I've got a timeline for all this, it's right in the blueprint, uh, it, we would have to have a Democratic nominee for president in 2024 who would uh, carry this banner and, and, and succeed, win the Democratic nominate, nomination the same way I'm doing it, which is talking about Full Employment Plus. And once that Democrat earned the nomination, then it would be for the same reason that I won because they had a laser focus on this program. And then you would have, uh, hopefully, most of the Democratic candidates for federal office, whether it be Congress or the Senate, behind the program as well. And if you succeed there in 2024, I think, uh, uh, and I think it's potential even 2024 to, to retake, uh, to get a, a majority in, in Congress, um, and then I think uh, uh, we, need, we need to expand the. You have to have the power to expand the, the Supreme Court at this point. It has to happen. You'll need to end the filibuster. There's a progression of things, a sequence of things that have to happen to get in a position where this could actually become law. But I think it's going to get the popular support. There's nothing succeeds like success when, when people see some, a movement growing uh, and momentum. Uh, so I th my my projection is that as a 2026 election, these two these couple of election cycles, we'll, we'll have a full employment plus 
um, plan in place. And suddenly everything shifts. Uh, where and the, the reason we will have attained that is because of the popular support for this is, you know, it's kind of waking up the electorate um, and um, being emboldened by um, ach achievements, electoral achievements. Um, and uh, once we once we've really delivered, we being a, a revitalized or democratic party, um, then we'll have their allegiance. Uh, and then uh, anything we want to do, uh, we could potentially accomplish. Here, here. Vote the vote, everybody. VoteDevote.us, VoteDevote.com. Get involved with the campaign. Rick, thank you so much for speaking with us here on the podcast. Uh, well, people well, thank you. In podcast form, they can also look up This Week with David Rovix, wherever you get your well, podcasts, and you can thank find you. it there. Thank you so much, David, for for uh, your commitment to continue working with the campaign and to do these podcasts and to do all the support and give us all the support you're going to give us with content for um, the social media. Um, you're, you're, you know, if we if we make this work, it, it's not going to work without you. Um, uh, you're instrumental in this, so I'm deeply yeah, appreciate it. See what we can do. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay, we'll sign off for now. Thank you, and see you all soon out there on the internet somewhere. Bye for Thank now. Thank you.